Hello, friends, and welcome to To The Point, the home services podcast that focuses on marketing and operational solutions to help you get better. Because if you're not getting better, you're getting worse. Now, let's cut through the bullshit and get to the point. What is up, everybody? We are super excited for our live podcast today slash webinar. I see a lot of people on the webinar. I'm looking forward to all the questions that come across. We've gotten a lot of questions in advance, a lot of really good questions that I'm certain a lot of you have had. First and foremost, I am your host of To The Point Home Services Podcast, Chris Yano, also the CEO of Rhino Strategic Solutions, a home services digital marketing company since 2008, which seems like forever ago today. And I got my co-host, as always, on here, Mr. Tall Paul, my friend. What is up, brother? Yano, always a pleasure. Ken, good to see you back in the studio. Pumped for today. Already seeing some activity out there. So uh, welcome, Ron Nelson. I see you sent the message in. Let's get going. Awesome. So quickly, I would be remiss if I did not mention our sponsor, our awesome sponsor who stepped up to... uh, support the podcast and uh coincidentally also is a uh is a um, a partnership with uh, Gettle as well our friends over at service titan the number one field service software in the game in our opinion so thank you so much for stepping up and being a part of the podcast we love our strategic partnership with service titan we have our good friend goes by the name of kg in the rhino house or in the to the point house his name is mr ken goodrich he is the ceo of Gettle which is a HVAC and plumbing company, small little itty-bitty 150 million-plus company. Um, also, the author of the E-Myth HVAC Contractor. Um, f- funny story for those who didn't know, but when I first started the company, Rhino, I read the E-Myth, the actual E-Myth Revisited book because I didn't know a damn thing about business and I hadn't learned it, and this thing at least gave me a, a little a roadmap to uh, now a company that has uh, over 100 employees ourselves, but KG, Ken Goodrich, glad to have you back on the show, my friend. Hey, thanks for having me. You have 100 employees? 100 and like some, four, six, four, wow. five, three, somewhere around there. Wow. That's who reads the books to him, Ken. Yeah, well, that's how it works, you know, because I have ADD, so I can't focus. So if I have somebody read to me, then I pay attention to what they're saying. I can really focus. So listen, this is our first go at doing a live podcast. So there's the likelihood of us messing something up is probably pretty good. And I really don't care. So it is what it is. But we have Ken on here. We're going to ask a lot of questions. I love that. um, I love one that Ken's wearing glasses today. So he looks a little extra studious. Those glasses on. Distinguished. Distinguished, whatever. Um, He's not going to be sharing tips and tricks with us today, but he is going to be sharing his knowledge and wisdom. And I'm anxious to get right into it. And for the sake of time and for everybody that's listening, thank you so much for hopping on. Quick little shout out to our friends over at ACA, Air Conditioning Contractors of America. I know some of y'all are listening. I'm going to jump right into some questions. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. Are you sure? I'm ready. Today is Cinco de Mayo, which I'm from the Midwest, so back when I grew up, it was just called May 5th, but uh, I live in Phoenix, our headquarters in Phoenix, and it's Cinco de Mayo, and we certainly celebrate, and I believe at some point we'll do a small little celebration of Cinco de Mayo. So getting right into it, I'm going to ask a couple of questions. KG is ready to roll. He's come in prepared. He got a good night's sleep. He's looking fresh in his press shirt. Let's go. First question comes from Mr. Jeff Packard, owner of One Stop Heating and AC, who is actually a new member of the Rhino family. So I'm going to ask this quick question. It's about culture. So Ken, he says, I've gone through some personnel changes and have struggled at creating the culture that, he's, that I strive to have at my company. What tips do you have on ways to create the culture that he wants? So, uh, good question. You know, over the years, uh, I've had a, I've heard a lot of people talk about culture, and they talk about their company culture and why it's so good and this and that, and almost to the tune, it's some sort of a, a mystical thing that happens. You know, they have willed it to happen that uh, somehow – this group of people came together and created this dynamic culture. And I really never understood that. And I started studying the the concept of culture. And what I found out was culture is something 
no different than any other business system that you have. It's a system. And your culture is you, you, you put forth your values. You create your company values. You create your company code of conduct documented, and you train your people to that, and then you enforce it, right? It's, it's not anything that just kind of morphs itself into being. It's something that you set up. Here's how I want our company to act. Here's our expectation. And I have zero tolerance for anything less than those standards. And so that's how you create a culture. So I would just suggest you put down your core values and your code of conduct and you hold your people accountable to that. That creates a culture. Absolutely. You remember when you and I went and um, we saw Robert Kiyosaki talk and he talked about documenting your culture. Right, I heard right. you just say it. Um, I had never heard of actually documenting culture, but it actually makes sense. So if you're using those core values or whatever you believe is what your company is about and you document those things and the processes on how to uphold those, that's how you document your culture. Yeah, what he did say is he was a Marine and he said there is a written documented code of conduct for the Marines. And he explained some of that to us. So for you uh, former or current military personnel, you get it. But, you know, that's one of the documents we have in our business we created years ago, and it's kind of our code of conduct. Makes perfect sense. Yeah, culture matters to Rhino. Um, we And for those that do know who Rhino is or have listened to the point, you know we have a relationship with Gary Vaynerchuk, and their HR department is the largest department at VaynerMedia. And it's by design because it's the people that make the business make the business happen. So, Paul, let's go ahead and fire away at question numero dos. Man, this is so hard because we could go so deep on just Ken's response I there, know, but bro. I'll be disciplined. We're going to move on to the next question. Get so this done. comes in from Terry from Utah. Terry wants to know, is it better financially to get an investor or be a platform company on your own? Or would he get more by joining with an established vendor or an established investor like yourself? Well, obviously he'd be better off with an investor <laughs> like myself. Well, you know, I, 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 you know, when I look at these situations, it just kind of depends where you're, where you're at in the game. So um, I guess when I first started in business, I, I kind of wish looking back that I would have got an investor, for instance, when I first started. So I, you know, I didn't have to go through the cash flow crunches and challenges growing a business. Um, and I would urge people to do that. You know, you, you do the fundamentals, you write a business plan, you seek capital, you, you decide how much capital you need, and, and you put that business together. With regards to current conditions in the market and the, and the, uh, um, and the uh, fervor of acquisitions, private equity money, here's my view. My team and I are trying to build a nationwide company. We're trying to be the innovators in the industry and, and change the industry for the better for our team, for our customers, and the industry fellows, trying to lead the, lead the way to make it better for everybody. And so if that's your goal, if you want to be part of a nationwide or a world-class company, then that's who you would align with, an operator. If your goal is strictly financial, which there's no problem with that, I would say pick your best deal. You know, if you want to align yourself with a private equity firm and they want to tout you as their platform company, I would just say, one, make sure that you and your team are up to that challenge because it's a whole different animal. You know, I've been multi running multi-branch businesses for over 20 years now, and it's a completely different animal than showing up and running your one location. So make sure you're up to that challenge to do that. Otherwise, you could potentially you know, have some more challenges, right? Um, the next thing is, is you got to be careful in some of this investor world uh, because the mentality is different. I mean, remember the investor's goal is I'm going to buy this, I'm going to buy into this company. I'm going to support some initiatives to try to improve its revenues and profits, grow it, and I'm going to sell it. And so, you know, the motives might be different than what your management team is used to. I've been in businesses before whereby, you know, everybody at the top, at the very tip top, the investors and the key C-suite people have one mentality, which is let's get some lipstick on this pig and sell it. <laughs> and that's just not my thing. I want to build a world-class company. I want to build a legacy. So if that's your goal, align with an operator. If that's not your goal, align with the best deal you can get your hands on. 
Yeah, makes makes sense. So I, I um, yeah, I think it all comes down to what do you want and how involved do you want to be? What legacy do you want to leave? I think is a key question to ask yourself um, and then work backwards from there. So in order to get there, though, um, we have a – I'll go ahead and pull a question from um, from the webinar from Ron Nelson asks, Ken, I know you're big on the importance of processes and systems. I would say that's pretty accurate. Um, I follow you and I've read the e-myth, but I'm having trouble figuring out exactly how to start or where to begin in building the, these processes. Could you give us a how-to, air quotes, uh, or where to start in building these processes? Okay. Good. You know a thing or two about processes? I think so. I think so, yeah. So I've been thinking about this a lot lately, and, and, and uh, throughout this COVID thing, we got a lot more time at home. I've really been, you know, I, I've been studying McDonald's more, for instance, because they are the king of the system, right, the, the, the system technology. I've watched the founder now 10 times over the last few weeks. I just kind of study it and watch it. I also watched the real founder, which uh, if you haven't watched that one, I urge you to watch that one too. But So here's why I look at it. Based on my experience and based on what I've been studying lately is the first thing I would do, I wish I would have known this before I started, but before I started, I wish I would have got a warehouse and built every type of air conditioning system that I'm going to sell. I would have built it in that warehouse. I would have videoed it, how we got, how it got, went together. I would have create, I would create books that showed every piece and part and how it's going to be installed my way every single time. No different than McDonald's does with their burgers, for instance. This is how you make a Big Mac every single time all around the world. And I'd make those books, and then I would take the videos, and I would train my people on how to do it until they could do it exactly the same way every single time and within the time frame I wanted to and with the quality scores I wanted to before I ever sold one. So I would start with my client fulfillment system. That is, here's what I sell. Here's my, my big products and services that I sell. I'm going to teach my people how to do it before I go out and start selling it. Because we all do the same thing. We probably all started as techs or, or somewhere in the world or salespeople usually. And so we start selling things and start installing things. And then, you know, the cash flow go keeps going, the overhead keeps growing, and you're just chasing your tail. You just never can really get past, um, you know, making it a predictable business, right? And so I would start there. Let's, let's, this is exactly how we're going to do our jobs. This is how I'm going to quality control them. And I'm going to teach my people to do it before they ever touch a job. Now in business, the three legs to the stool, main legs of the stool are lead generation, lead conversion, client fulfillment. So I would start with client fulfillment. So once you sell something, you know, it's going to go in right, make a happy customer and have no problems. You know, no, no callbacks, if you will. Then lead conversion, you create a sales system. There's a million sales systems out there. It doesn't, there's, you just get one and you just commit to it and use it. And then lead generation, I guess uh, you hire Rhino and let him get you leads. I love that answer. So, really so you, unsolicited. Unsolicited. Thank you. So, you know, now you have a machine. I got leads coming in. I'm converting leads to sales. And I'm putting in the jobs exactly the way I told the customer I would, exactly to my standards, with no problems, callbacks, and happy customers. So that's how it would start. So that's how you built this thing from two on. It does. It does. And, and this is how you, uh, for those who may not know, um, this is how you build a company from 200 to over 150 million is by creating those processes and things like that that Ken has perfected and followed, which... Um, you talked about watching the founder, which is the Ray Kroc story on McDonald's over and over and over again, which is kind of like what you did with the E-Myth because when you, I don't remember how many times you've read it. I know it's a bunch, but you did the same thing. You read it over and over and over and over again, and you picked up new things along the way. Sounds like you're doing the same thing with this Ray Kroc deal. Yeah. Well, I read the E-Myth 39 times. I'm, you know, I, it takes me a while to get it. <laughs> but listen, I, I want everybody to think about this. I'm, I'm in this thing 35 years now, and 
you know, the first 20 were struggles, right? And so you, you don't be down on yourself because you haven't got there yet, but you can always take a, um, create a new spot right now in your life and start anew. It wasn't all sunshine and roses. Nope. <laughs> Those are other podcasts. Just go to, uh, to the point and download some of the other podcasts of Ken Goodrich. You'll hear this past. Okay. Hey, Paul, you want to go ahead and ask a question from our friend, Brian? Uh, yes, actually we had one come in from Carlos Perez that I thought I would toss over to you. This one came in through the, uh, through the chat. Um, Carlos, if I recall is with air choice one in Illinois, he wants to know for a small company, two guys, what's the best way to start gaining market share with limited funds? Well, I would say if you don't have your client fulfillment system set up, don't go get market share. I mean, just make sure that you design your, your Big Mac and you can teach people how to make your Big Mac and then you can teach people how to sell your Big Mac and then you teach people how to market or get leads to sell your Big Mac, right? So I, I would just caution you. I would say don't get too far into this. You, if you haven't got those three things set up yet, don't get, don't, what do they say? Fools rush in. So back up. Sit down, you and your other guy, do enough business to keep your family fed and build those systems before you go any further. Love it. So don't put the cart before the horse? Yep. Got it. Cool. Good question. Um, okay, so I'm going to ask one from Brian Vardaman uh, from Best Service. His question is, in your book, you mentioned sharing your plan with your team. What level of details need to be shared about your plan and to which team members? So, uh, you know, we had the struggle years and years ago about what to give them, but it's, it's kind of morphed into my key team, you know, all the managers, they, they have complete transparency into our financial statements and our, our metrics. We build our budget based on number of calls per month, conversions to each type of the services, products and services we sell, average tickets, uh, and then gross margin motives, less overhead equals profit, right? So they know every detail of it, and they have P&L responsibility. Um, the second layer, let's say operations people, they have, they might not grab in the financial statements, but they certainly know the big overall monthly plan. They certainly know revenues and profits, gross margin motives, the monthly pan, plan. Uh, technicians and salespeople, you know, everybody kind of understands what their piece of the pie is in terms of revenue and a gross margin contribution. So I would say, for the most part, everybody knows our numbers in our business, and uh, I think it's a key part of running a successful operation. you got to have a high fidelity for the numbers, and everybody in the business has to be uh, have a clear understanding of where you're headed. Yeah, so you have KPIs, key performance indicators in place, and you can manage to those, which then makes it crystal clear on if you're doing well or not doing well and where there needs to be coaching or management, right? That's right. But, but you know, I mean, I would say the top 20 people in our organization clearly know what our revenue and profit goal is for this year. Okay. Great. Um, Tal Paul, do you have a, uh, another question from one of the viewers or listeners? Yeah. So this one came in from Jamie Vaughn, and this is kind of a hot topic, kind of probably more of a controversial uh, question to a degree. But let's talk about um, compensation plans, performance-based pay for installed departments. What are your thoughts on setting up performance-based pay for your install crews? Well, I don't know what performance-based pay would be because, uh, you know, I know a lot of guys do piece work. I know a lot of guys do percentage of sales, which I don't agree with. Um, you know, why should you pay more to install a more expensive system than a less expensive system to the install crews? So, you know, I, I think traditionally it's piece rate. But, you know, because of the overtime laws, you really are kind of stuck you know, the, because installers don't typically sell things, there's some companies that have their installers sell a little bit. You just kind of have to pay piece rate or hourly and then give them, um, 
and give them overtime based on their job duration every week in California every day. So um, I certainly am big on incentive programs. Uh, we certainly have spiffs for our installers as they go up in the attic and they see things, duct systems, for instance, or insulation, for instance, or, hey, why didn't you buy the IAQ package? They get spiffs for that kind of stuff. So I, I'm all for that. But here's where I see a lot of people get tripped up on the two things. One is guys that just pay, I don't know, they think they're controlling their labor by saying, I'm going to give you 8 to 10% of the, install, the, the job sale price. I don't agree with that. I think you should say, this is how much we're going to pay to put in the system. Um, or if you're going to pay hourly, manage your people to those hours. Uh, and then incentivize them by adding other products and services to the sale. SmartAC.com. SmartAC.com. If you haven't heard of it, you better find out. If you haven't implemented it, you better check it out. You have to get started doing something. 2024 is going to be an absolute battlefield. What are you doing differently than your competitors? You need to make sure that your memberships are sticky. SmartAC.com does that. Lifetime warranty, insurance savings, filter discounts, 24-7 monitoring that lets you know about problems before the homeowner might even know about the problem. Live tech chat, service providers, all of this with smartac.com. You've got to check it out now. Got it. Are you satisfied with that answer at all, Paul? Uh, yeah. I mean, the question is, we'll find out if Jamie is. He'll text me, I'm sure. But <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Moving on. Oh, looks Chris, like. Yeah, looks did like. You, did you see the one that came in from Anonymous? Um, which. Yes, there's a couple. Uh, okay. So we have a few that came in from anonymous and anytime we get an anonymous question, I love it because you know, it's good. You know, it's going to be good. Um, I'm going to wait on that one for the next question. I see which one you're, I know which one you're talking about. You're trying, you're trying to get me going, aren't you, Paul? <laughs> so I'm going to ask one, one more quick question from another, um, another, um, actual Rhino customer of ours that chimed in, uh, Ryan Grimes, uh, from Beltway. Um, Ken, could you tell me more about the plumbing side of your business? When you started offering plumbing, oh, this is good because I know the answer. When you started offering plumbing, was it easy to integrate? So uh, I'll say this. Let me start out by saying this. People ask me all the time about adding another service, and, I, and my answer is always this. I wouldn't ever add another service unless you're – number one, two, or three in your prime service in your marketplace, right? If you're an air conditioning guy, if you're not one, two, three, one, two, or three in your market selling air conditioners, keep selling air conditioners until you get good at it. Um, this, everyone thinks that plumbing is such an easy transition, but it's really not. It truly is a different business. The, the plumbers are different mentality than the HVAC guys. Um, there's all kinds of different nuances. The reason why I got it, I, got, I did my first plumbing business in 2001, is because I belonged to a best practice group, and I couldn't get territories for that best practice group in Las Vegas for the air side, but it could for plumbing. And I wanted to be part of the group, and I wanted to be part of their future uh, roll-ups and stuff. So I bought their system, and I implemented their system. And so... I think I started out right because I had a system and I, I didn't question. I just did it. And so over time, we had a, a nice plumbing business. But I will say, um, I wouldn't recommend it. I wouldn't recommend it until you get one good trade under your belt and understand lead generation, lead conversion, and client fulfillment on your first trade. And then you develop those systems first before you go to the second trade. I mean – we got a big plumbing business. We have a 60 plus million dollar plumbing company, but it's not without its challenges. I'm an air conditioning guy and I've seen this time in time out my, all my management team, other companies I deal with. I'm an AC guy first. So the first question I ask is how many units do we sell today? Every single day, I can't get myself to say how many water heaters do we sell? How many sewer systems do we <laughs> sell? How many tankless water heaters do we sell? I say, how many air conditioners do we sell? So uh, just be careful with that. You know, there's a, 
a friend of mine who owns a really large, very successful, notable, notable company in LA, and he does air and plumbing. And I'm, I imagine he's somewhere between 60 and 80 million in LA, long, long time company. And, you know, we talk about this, he's a plumber first, we talk about this, and he says, well, I probably do 30%, 70% plumbing and 30% air. And if I had I never started air conditioning, I would have been doing 100 million in plumbing by itself. So not that you can't do it. We're doing it successfully now. I've had my challenges with it. But I would just urge you, don't do it until you've got this air conditioning thing running like a Swiss watch <laughs> or vice versa. So if you were going to add a third, what would it be next? Well, I think the logical thing is electrical. doesn't seem like, I mean, the, the, when I look at electrical, electrical, it doesn't seem like the, uh, you know, the, the years to visit somebody in their house for electrical. It's, it's like it's further out than air or plumbing, you know. So I'm just going to poke around. I, I've decided we're going to get good at what we do. We're going to get great at what we do. And then... Uh, I don't know if something falls in my lap, maybe we'll do it. But, like, they keep pushing us to try to do this connected home stuff. And I'm like, gosh, we, we can't even sell an air conditioner. Why, you know, I'm going to put a camera or, or, a, or a doorbell on for somebody. I think you're doing okay at selling air conditioners. Yeah. We could do better. <laughs> Never satisfied. <clears throat> well, um, so, Ryan, hopefully you take, that, you take that away. And he's a pretty solid little business owner up in the northeast I know that uh, Tall Paul and him have uh, worked pretty closely in, in the past. Um, so, yeah, to me, it seems like the natural fit is usually HVAC, plumbing, electrical. And HVAC has been your core since the beginning. Um, and I don't know if you'll ever add electrical or what, but I would imagine that would be the easiest next step. It seems to be the way it is with most of our customers that do the same thing. Okay. Um, actually, I think real quick before I get into this next question – Given that it is Cinco de Mayo, I wanted to give you a little extra treat here, Ken, while we're live on the podcast. I thought this would be, you know, a good gesture to share our appreciation for you being uh -oh. on here. And so since it's Cinco de Mayo, why not bring in some uh, some margaritas? Yeah, happy Cinco de Mayo. There we you. go. There we go. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you, Megan. Oh, wow. None in the Charlotte office. Cheers, Ken. Happy Cheers. Cinco hey, de Mayo. Chris and Ken, we have uh, we have a first while you enjoy your margarita there. Um, this is the first time I have to apologize live on air for uh, an attendee. It's also the first time we had to kick somebody out of a chat <laughs> in a meeting. So uh, for those who saw the message from, uh, we'll just call him out here, his name's on there, Gary Anderson. We apologize for his message, and he's no longer in the, uh, in the conversation now. Hey, so Gary Anderson, stop being an asshole, okay? Jeez, there's always hey, get, there's you, always one. Always one. Always one. See you, Gary. See you, You're Gary. blocked from the Bye point. Felicia. Thank you, Megan, for the margaritas. We appreciate it. it tastes amazing. Okay, <clears throat> how do you get, get some how do you get blocked? How do you get blocked from a podcast? Listen, like what kind of what level of trolling? Right, that's hate, next level trolling. Haters gonna hate, man. Jealousy will do different things. A haters gonna hate. So okay, listen, I got a, a drink of margarita in me. It's actually Megan as a. Uh, one of our uh, account managers here at Rhino, and um, apparently makes a strong margarita. I feel it burning into my belly at the moment. Um, I'm going to ask this next question. It's a tough breakfast. Yeah, boy. Um, so next question. Oh, this is going to be so good. This is an anonymous question. KG, are you ready for probably, this one, my friend? Gary. No. It's probably Gary. <laughs> Some of your peers say you're a real hard ass. Who the fuck said that? <laughs> Well, they're anonymous, so uh, I bet there's I bet there's a few. Some of your peers say you're a real hard ass. Why do you think they say that about you? Well, I, I fancy myself as being a kind, gentle, <laughs> caring person. I don't I don't That's see why it would come up. I just think, uh, you know, I, I you know, with me, I think it's. Uh, What's the what's the phrase? What you see is what you get. I um, I'll tell you the truth. I don't usually sugarcoat things. Uh, I'm analytical. 
So, you know, we run the business by the numbers and, um, you know, we're a very driven, ambitious group. So, um, so is it fair to say that you're not trying to come off like an asshole, but because of like the way that you deliver things that might be perceived that way, if they didn't really know Ken Goodrich, is that a fair statement? Oh, look I don't, at this. I don't even know how to answer that question. I mean, <laughs> I, we built some great companies, we built some great people. We got great, we have great uh, relationships all over the country. So absolutely, um, you know, we're just we we play to win, but that's not at the that's not at the sacrifice of our people. So sure. yeah, but you know, again, I'm trying to build a world class company. I'm trying to build a nationwide business. And sometimes people don't fit into that plan and, and, and that culture. And we have a very, you know, talking about building the culture, we have a very high level of accountability. I mean, we do what we say we're going to do. We plan our work. We work our plan. And we keep the business moving forward. So that's why we've built and sold 24 of these companies. Right. Yeah. So um, I think that, uh, you know, if, as I've gotten to know you, you just help. There's you just are you hold people to a different level of standards, and you're not and you're okay with being very frank about it. And I think that's admirable. Um, so I want to get into it. Well, thank you for being uh, so kind to answer those questions <laughs> for me, Ken Goodrich. Um, from anonymous. From anonymous. Um, I didn't get to see the comments. I cannot wait to go back and see that. Um, oh, I took video. We're I got gotcha. you. Okay, great. So. Uh, a question. Actually, we got this one from multiple people, so I'm just going to ask it in general. Um, and we had this same conversation on episode 15 of Acquisition Psychology with Ken Goodrich, so that'll answer a bunch of questions. But um, right now, how many times the EBITDA does a company get? And I know that we just talked about this and, and how it, the changes via COVID and things like that, but how many times the EBITDA does a service company get? today well i mean there's so many variables to that question that uh, uh, you know i've bought companies that don't make a profit and i've paid millions of dollars for them so it's an infinite number of multiples right if they make zero and i paid a million dollars i don't even know what that math is what is it <laughs> on the other hand it just really depends on you know what the opportunity and, and you look at the business and say okay how can i lift this how can i improve it how can the, how can the the combination of my business and this business um give us an exponential leap now that said the best business the most most desired business that to be purchased is a business that's ran by a management team that's profitable that has predictable growth and that may have some, you know, you leave a little meat on the bone so that an investor or an operator can come in and say, well, if I buy this company at this kind of rate, I can tweak it here and there and I can get a big jump on the profits. And so, you know, a business is just a cash flow machine and you're supposed to, you get paid a multiple of the cash flow like real estate, for instance. So, I would say the market today, you know, anywhere from four to 10 times, depending on where you're at, how well the business performs, does it have a good solid management team? Can the owner come in and take your place? Can the owner come in and take your place and reasonably uh, be comfortable that he will at least duplicate your performance and get a return on his investment or better your performance. Those are the businesses that are most desirable and command the highest multiples. Perfect. And there's also multiplier isn't and multiplier isn't always the answer in all acquisitions. And there's like a couple different variations of an acquisition, right? Like you had like the asset purchase. There's a couple different like was it three? I think you had mentioned before on different types of acquisitions, like strategic ones, like mid. Well, I mean, I look, there's a, there's a there's a database or customer acquisition that's it, that's model. It, that's it, right? There's a mid 
mid-sized company that you're just trying to, you know, that you're probably not going to keep, you know, you probably won't keep a bunch of the people, but it's a larger business, so you pay a little bit more for it. And there's a strategic acquisition where, you know, the goal is to keep everybody in place, keep the machine running just like it was, and make uh, careful, calculated improvements to it to, to grow it and to, you know, better your returns. Got it. Okay. Um, I know on that particular podcast, I learned a, a ton and it seems like the last couple of years I've been through a lot of these conversations. So, um, Hey, tall Paul, uh, you have another question for us there, brother from, uh, yeah, so, a listener? so this one's a little more, I guess, tactical, but do you believe in having all company meetings? If so, how often do you recommend them and what's the agenda for all company meetings? So that means, you know, everybody from... I think it's all hands on deck. Okay. Yeah. State of the Union, maybe. So we have a, a quarterly State of the Union. You know, we'll, you know, we got six, we have six branches. So, you know, I'll go to, uh, we'll call it a town hall meeting, actually, but we'll go and we'll rent a big room in a hotel, have breakfast. Um, and, you know, we'll get up and talk about where the company's headed. Um, how's how it's doing, you know, meet, meet and greet a lot of employees. I bring my dog Sadie so they can get more photo ops with Sadie. Uh, and we just talk about those sorts of things once a year, you know, we create our annual plan and, uh, we bring everybody together and share our one page plan. We call it, but it's one page. Here's the revenues. Here's the pro- gross margin. Here's the profits. Here's the you know, our key initiatives for business improvement, um, things like that. And here's where we're headed in the future. So we do that big one once a year, and then we have a quarterly town hall meetings with uh, each of our branches. Got it. So, but, I, but I'm big on meetings. I like to bring everybody together. You know, before the COVID thing, our guys came into the, to, to the branches at least three times a week, and they would have training. Uh, you know, nice to get your eyes on everybody and make sure they're looking sharp and, uh, you know, creating community inside the business as well. So since then, we've been doing the Zoom meetings, which actually, it's kind of interesting. I, I, I think we might implement it, implement those more and less to the shop meetings, if you will. Yeah, sure. It makes sense, especially because you're spread out from San Antonio to L.A. Yeah. Um, okay, so another quick question from my friend, Keith Flores. What's up, my friend? Um, what, what marketing works best for Gettle? I bet I know your, I bet I could answer this for you and it's, and it's not Rhino. It is something completely different and I bet I know what it is, but I'm gonna let you answer it because he didn't ask me. He asked you. <laughs> so all the marketing. <laughs> so, uh, Interesting, because I just talked to a guy yesterday. I was in our Phoenix branch, and, uh, you know, he's a technician. He's been with me on various projects. He's been with me for 15 years now. And so I just talked to him, how's it going, this and that. And I said, hey, so how's the customers? Tell me about the customers' reaction to Gettle, and, you know, what are you seeing out there? How, you fe- how, how are they feeling about it? And he said, Ken, the jobs sell themselves now. I'm not sure that that's completely true, but I said, well, should we back down your commission if they sell themselves? <laughs> no, but, but I, they said they sell themselves because it's a story. So what marketing works best, you have to craft your story. And my story is I was a 10-year-old boy holding the flashlight for my dad while he worked on an air conditioner for a customer. That's my story. And so we build upon the story, and, you know, we're out there on the, the radio on television, on the uh, social. social media, and we're telling our story. We tell our story to our people. Our people tell our story to our customers. Uh, it's really about the story. So if, I hope this answers your question, Keith, but uh, what's the best way for Gettle Market is we tell our story and we tell it well and we bond ourselves with our customers. Yeah, and then you take that story and you spread it across multiple platforms. Right. Um, and I'd seen, I'd, um, I'm familiar with Keith and Keith's done some pretty cool stuff on, on social to get creative. But you have to connect with them on emotional level. You know, this, this whole, 
you know, it's so funny to me. I look around at our industry, like guys, you know, their story is they're family owned. Well, every business is family owned, right? One way or another, every <laughs> single business in the world is family owned one way or another. We right? drug test. Yeah, we drug <laughs> test. We wear booties. That's not a story. <laughs> What's the story that will connect you to the community, connect you with a customer they can relate? You know, I can't tell you how many times people call up and say, I held the flashlight for my dad, so I'm going to use you. And I know there's a lot of guys who've held the flashlight for a dad, but that's mine. Go figure out something on your own. <laughs> Sadie certified. Got that too. Tall Paul, what do you got for me, my man? Um, Ken, what, uh, what's the hardest decision you've ever had to make along the way? I've had a lot of hard decisions. Um, good. This is good. You know, I, so a hard, one of the hard decisions was, this might fall into this hard ass thing you were talking about earlier, but, uh, so when I first got started in business, my dad passed away and I bought the business from my mom and, and the, the business was just me in a van and she answered the phone and did some books. Right. And I'd started hiring some people. And as I start started, you know, gaining some traction on the business, you know, it got very apparent that my mom was not the right, she's not on the right seat on the bus, right? And so, oh boy. essentially, I had to take my mom to breakfast and say, Mom, I want you to work from home and I'm going to keep paying you, but. So you quasi-fired your mom? Yeah. <laughs> I did. So anon- the, the anonymous person who wanted to say you were a hard ass, it was it's your, your mom. mom. <laughs> it was your mom Gosh, we need to so that was a hard decision. I mean, and, oh, shit. And that was a hard decision. decision. I've had a, a lot of personnel hard decisions I've had to make where, you know, somebody's just trying as hard as they possibly can and they've been loyal and they're, you know, they're loyal and they're hardworking and, you know, all the good stuff, but it just, they just don't fit, you know, and I've had to make those decisions and, you know, um, those are very difficult decisions for me. I, I uh, tend to have a contrary to popular belief. I tend to have, you know, a soft heart about say, people, right? You could barely say that. I yeah. was about to say it for you. Ken does has a, have this soft side, so don't let, don't let him fool you. He certainly got it, big, even though he fired his big mom. Big teddy bear. <clears throat> so uh, that was awesome. Um, I didn't expect, I didn't know that. I learned something new about you today. That's tough. Ken, my mom. Yeah, wow, you can your mom. That's hardcore. Yeah, but wow. let me tell you this. I've seen so many people. Like, I have a best friend, one of my best friends. He has been stuck. He's not in the air conditioning business. Uh, dad's an architect. And his dad has just not been able to evolve with the business. And this guy, who's my age, has been stuck in that family business. And he just can't figure out how to, to get out. He can't get out because he knows his dad's going to fail. He can't grow it because his dad won't let him. And he's just stuck. And he has not resigned himself to make the hard decisions. I can't tell you how many companies I've bought. Um, and this is not about a family question, but talking about hard decisions where they got so many family members in, there's no accountability. Uh, one person's doing the work, everybody else is eating off of it. And they can't make the decision to do what's best for the enterprise do what's best for the shareholders. And what's best for the shareholders is make sure you got the bright, best and brightest in every seat on the org chart. Got it. Well, this is where KPIs come in place because then regardless of who you are, family or not, you're held measurable to those KPIs. Right. You see that? Huh? You impressed right now, Tall Ball? It took I'm me very impressed. 12 years. I can see all, you know, all this, all this hard ass Ken stuff going and he fired his mom and he fired his mom. This is where this is going to go. Backfire. And, and by the way, uh, that's what they'll hear. But the reality is, is you kept paying, you kept paying your mom. Like, so mom was just working from home. She just was, she just was moved out a little bit and a little bit more secluded. Yeah. You're giving her early vacation. Yeah. yeah mom, mom, mom lives fine. Lives well. <laughs> uh, very, yeah. Very well. I'm guessing you set her up pretty well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So uh, another question moving on. Uh, this is from, let's see here, uh, AC. Oh, oh, I Rhino know. client, uh, Rhino client, Rhino family yeah. member. What's up? Shout out. Ken, in regards to moving into a new market, 
Is it better to acquire an existing company in that market and rebrand it or build your brand from the ground up? Ooh, I really want to answer that question myself, but I'm going to let, I'm going to let you answer that. So what I like to do is I like to go in and, and get a foothold with um, buying, a, buying a company, uh, a database, or a smaller business so that, you know, it's not a 100% greenfield. And so uh, I figured out how to take these businesses and change the names and grow them, which, um, you know, there's a lot of discussion about whether that's the right thing to do or not in the industry, but I figured it out. And uh, so I like to go in and get a company so I have lead flow day one. I like to be have guys working and creating revenues day one. I just don't like to see the negative cash burn. Sure. So I would say if you go into a market, get something. You know, try to go buy yourself 3,000 calls uh, from a database, 6,000 calls from a database, put your team in place, teach everybody your client fulfillment systems, teach everybody your um, uh, lead conversion systems, and then capitalize on those three to 6,000 calls and then go get some more leads and put it through your machine. Yeah, I think if I can chime in on this, we, we actually think just had this conversation last week um, or a, similarity, a similar conversation to this. Um, I believe it, it also matters on who you're acquiring and what their brand looks like in that market on how quickly you make that segue and you start off with a co-brand and then you merge into a full brand. I think it matters on who you're acquiring, um, in my opinion, from a, from a straight-up marketing perspective. Okay, so <clears throat> let's see. What, this is from, oh man, I really hope I don't butcher this, so I'm sorry, Eric, if I do. Eric Rowitz, I think I probably got it right. He, Eric wants to know, what is your view on commercial versus res residential um well commercial service i assume service replacement because that's what we do as a service replacement um i like commercial there's a lot of guys who make a lot of money at commercially do very well it's it's somewhat a different animal in that you know the lead generation lead conversion processes are, are much different the client fulfillment processes are basically the same but so you just got to understand those two things the, the buy process for the customer is completely different. Uh, and you don't have, you have marketing expense, but not to the extent lead gen costs that we have in residential. So the reason why, and I've done every, I've, I've toyed around with every different piece and part of this trade. Uh, but the reason I started really focused on residential because there's companies that want to buy residential companies. And I kind of got into that in the mid nineties um, when the consolidation came around and, you know, that seems to be the most desirable business uh, for investors to buy or consolidators to consolidate, not to say that commercial isn't that doesn't have its place as well. Um, you can build and sell a commercial business. So, I like commercial service. We just haven't ventured in it because that's not what my customers, my customers, I believe, are investors and uh, and or strategics that want to buy my company. That's my customers. Um, my people's customers are, are people who we serve. And so I'm just trying to serve my customers and build what they want to buy. Makes sense. That makes sense? Yeah, yeah. But I know a lot of guys that make, have great, great, well-ran enterprises in the commercial sector. I got no challenge with that. Yeah, it's just your focus is more resident. Residential on replacement my, my focus is I build companies and sell them. That's yep. my, well, my focus. And I just happen to sell these type of companies. Yeah. yeah. But you had to build one before you got there too. So and like by you, the way, to that, that one statement, I want to urge everybody to think about that. If you own a company, you're not in the HVAC or plumbing business. You're in the business building business. You're building a business. You're building a business to create revenues and cash flows for the shareholders, more than likely you and, and or your family, and to monet, be able to monetize it one day when the market conditions are the most favorable. So that's what you're doing. You're building a business. 
You're just building it using the values and systems that you put in place. Right. Got it. Tall Paul, what do we got, brother? We got another one I, from somebody? We do, and we have 10 minutes. So we have so many questions piling up. Um, the next one came in from our man, Tersh, down in Savannah. Tersh, what's Tersh up, like, brother? Tersh, Tersh is like set. Oprah, just one name, Tersh. Tersh, service um, Ken, business master. Being, being as large as you are, do you have to develop a different he means avatar company. He for He means each company, company, by yeah, the way. Yeah, Sorry. Yeah, totally can, you, can you say that again? But re- Come on. Okay. Come on, Tersh. Um, Tersh, you set me up for failure. Um, do you develop a different avatar for each location or can one avatar work across multiple locations? Good question, Tersh. So What's av- avatar is basically your customer persona, the profile. Like you're, The answer is he does one for everything. I know that's the answer. Yeah, so yeah, again, it's your story, right? Yeah. You tell your story. And yeah. uh, interesting enough, though, a uh, good question because – my the st- my story, the way we tell it, has had the very same reactions in every single market that I've put it out in. Because it's not about heating and air conditioning or plumbing. It's right. not. Your story is not about that specifically. Your story is about the family aspect of it, the connection aspect of it, the caring. Aspect. There's multiple things that make up that. Now, the service that you offer is heating, air conditioning, and plumbing. Yeah. But this- and then, and let me say this. You know, back in the day when we did really did a lot of direct marketing, a lot of direct mail, for instance, I would notice that what mail really worked well in Vegas didn't work in Phoenix, may have worked in Tucson, worked well in Southern California. I mean, it's there, it just taught me that every, to your point, every city is its own culture and, com- and country, if you will. So let's call it culture, right? And so when you're doing a direct marketing, when you're doing direct marketing without the story, yes, you will have to create your brand differently from different markets. When you're telling a story and connecting with people on an emotional level seems to take hold consistently across the board. Got it. Um, Shout out to Tersh. What's up, brother? Um, Okay, so let's see what else we got here. Um, I've got a time for a couple more questions, it looks like. And then uh, I have a finishing question I want to ask. Um, let's go with Brian. Let's see. How do you how do you change policies and procedures in existing companies without completely upsetting the apple cart, air quotes, getting employee buy-in to make the appropriate changes? So we've been working on this a lot lately. Um, if you if you ever look Google change, you know, employee change, and there's all kinds of graphs, and I, I never really, really understood it because people say about me, the only consistent thing about me is change. You know, I'm changing, I'm growing, and I'm trying to figure out new ways to do it, and I didn't realize how much it terrified people. I mean, I, you heard it, but when you start looking and really drilling into how change terrifies people. And there's graphs and it talks about, you know, anxiety and depression and fear and all this stuff, this curve that people go through uh, to, to uh, during change. And so, I mean, it used to be younger years, I would go and just say, this is what we're doing, let's go. And I'd, and I'd rip the Band-Aid off and we'd move on. Now we're a little more methodical about it, understanding the human condition and how people act to ch- react to change. So to answer your question is there's so many articles that you can find on how to conduct change in your organization. Um, I would urge you to go find those articles and do it that manner. There's some very simple steps that you do, but it's all about communication, 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 and, you know, understanding people's concerns. You can't get too um, impatient with them. You just have to work them through because turnover is very expensive. So it's best that you try to get everybody headed the right direction as opposed to try to start over with new people. Um, but it is interesting because we've really been working on this as a, as a, as a company and, and for our culture is how do we manage change because we are changing so rapidly. Uh, and it's a real, as you grow, it is a real, it's a real thing have to understand how to do that too 
Got it. Hopefully that answers your uh, hopefully that answers your question, Brian. Paul, you got one for us, brother? Yeah, so this one comes in from another anonymous, not the same anonymous as earlier. Um, I've read your EMIF book and was inspired. I've always wanted to start my own business, um, but I have fear of failure and lack of funds. Where do you start when you have a dream? How do you take the jump and overcome fear? Ooh. <laughs> Big, question. Big question. You know, overcoming fear is just about having is is having small victories, right? And little mindset. Yeah. So you just take one step and you take a step and you figure out that wasn't so bad and I can do this. And you take another step and you take another step and another step. You know, I've gotten to the point I think I've done some interesting things inside the industry that the industry typically hasn't done. Uh, it's because I got, you know, I've, I had just tried to find the wins, little wins at first, bigger wins. Uh, and then to the point when you say, Hey, I have nothing to fear. I know how to conduct myself. Um, I know how to conduct myself in the event that we stumble to put us back on track. Now let's take some leaps forward. Let's do some innovation. Let's just really push ourselves out there and do something different and, you know, change this industry for the better. So back to the original question is just have one little success. Um, uh, follow that. Follow the book. You know, follow the book. Create your primary aim. Create your strategic object, objective. And then start building your systems, as I told you. Client fulfillment, lead conversion, lead generation, and each little success you will have will give you confidence to take the next step. Yep, keep chipping away. No zero days. I think something that um, is easy to get wrapped up in because I've seen it happen multiple times is you have you paint this big picture of what you want to be, which is completely okay to have that northern star. But you can't expect it to just hit the northern star. You have to have these little checkpoints along the way that give you that fulfilling, you know, that feeling of like accomplishment. I'm like, I got that one. I got this one. I can check that box, check that box, check that box. And it can be this week. I just want to do an install. And the next month I want to do two installs a week or whatever that is for you that allows you to have these little victories that Ken's talking about along the way that kind of assure you that you're going down the right path. So don't, even though you may be Mark McGuire. Oh my gosh. I just date myself. Mark McGuire. I remember the bash brothers would hit it out of the park you're not everybody's going to hit grand slams out of the gate. Like, go ahead and take a bunt if it gets you on first base. And 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 to this uh, to the to the person who asked that question, you think about it. This gives you an opportunity to build the business right, like nobody else does. You're not in the business yet, so take the time and build it right. Build it on a platform of granite, so you won't have the challenges that most of us had. Right. So take the time and just put together the systems um, and, and, you know, everything we talked about today. What's your culture going to look like? What's your code of conduct inside of the business? Put all that together before you get started. And then your chances of success are exponentially greater. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. Okay. Ken, last question. One more. Uno mas. I think I could. Let's hear it. I feel like I've done a good job on my Spanish. Um, if you could start all over again, think back to those days, 35 years ago. If you could start all over again, what would you do differently? So I, I would do basically everything we've been talking about here today. I would have. I would have written a succinct business plan. I would have went out and got capital from family and friends probably or found a, you know, found a business guy who, who might believe in me. Or listen to a guy on a podcast and reach out to him. Yeah. <laughs> um, I would, uh, and then I would build my, build my client fulfillment system to start. I would create a school for our employees. I would, uh, you know, I would teach them exactly how we make our, get an air conditioning system or our Big Mac, uh, and I would just make the machine um, 
grow itself as opposed to me showing up every day, working harder and harder every day, later into the night, you know, all the stuff that goes on when you're trying to build a business. So I would have I started it right, not, you know, as Michael Gerber talks about in the e-myth, you know, people, they become a technician, not necessarily air conditioning technician, but anyone that does the technical work of a business is considered a technician and then a technician typically has an entrepreneurial seizure and says, I'm going to go start my own company. And they go out and start doing the work just like they did when they were a technician, but it really has nothing to do with the work. If you really sit down to it and think about it, the business has really not much to do with the actual technical work you're doing. There's so many other moving parts to run a business. Um, so I would have started out correctly, I would have never taken my first job until all my systems were in place. Right. That's awesome. Um, thanks for so much for sharing that information. Ken, it's always great to have you on the podcast. Uh, every time we have you on, I'll learn something new. So appreciate you coming on live, let people fire away questions at you. Um, what was, what's his name? Gary, Greg, whatever. <laughs> Gary Anderson. Um, he gone. He gone. Um, but I do want to, to let our listeners know and everybody that's watching on the webinar that, um, you know, we just scratch the surface on Ken's knowledge. Uh, he has a lot to offer and, um, he can't, we can't, like, there's a bunch of questions that we had that we didn't even get to within this time frame. It's hard to try and cut Ken short when he has so much to share, but we try to get through as many questions as we possibly could. I want to share this, <clears throat> excuse me, this last little piece of information for anybody, regardless of which, of which position that you're in. And potentially it's easy for me to say is that. Don't you worry about 90% of the shit that never happens. 90% of the things you worry about never actually happen. So why in the hell are you wasting so much time worrying about these things? Why not just deal with the 10% of stuff that actually does happen? Keep pushing forward. Put the processes in place. Follow your gut. Be persistent. What Ken is saying is he started off by reading Emith and learning different processes. Well, he didn't start off that way. He actually implemented that down the road. Listen to him. You have to slow down, put some systems in place, some check marks in place, and then go. That would be very difficult for me to do because I am always wanting to go and do something now. I have, I thrive on instant gratification. In a lot of ways, that can hurt you right out of the gate. So everybody that is on the webinar, thank you so much for chiming in. Again, thanks to our sponsor, Service Titan. We really appreciate you guys coming on board. I know that uh, Gettle has, you have a partnership with Gettle as well. Ken, any last words you want to share with our guests? Our listeners. So, um, well, to your point, you know, I've, I've, I, I got a hold of this phrase years and years ago, and I just try to let it guide me, which is fools rush in, Right. And I'm an instant gratification guy too. You know, I want to get in there and do it, but really back up, take the time, build your systems. Now you're not going to build every system that the company needs day one, but certainly your client fulfillment, lead conversion, lead generation systems, the foundational systems, you got to get those right before you can even go further. So make sure you do that. Another thing is I have, uh, I have opened my doors to contractors all around the country since I began. You know, I've tried to be involved as much as I can uh, in ACA and um, Service Roundtable, Service Nation Alliance, Airtime 500, PSI. And I've tried to be in all these groups. And, you know, it's about sharing of the practices, right? Sharing with each other. So I've just had an open door policy. People come in. Uh, before the before this last 60 days, there was somebody, some company in one of my branches every single day visiting, meeting with the managers, watch how we do things, sharing best practices. And, and it's and it's because we get it out we, we get as much out of that as they do. You know, it doesn't matter how big or small you are, uh, you know, we can always pick a gem out of the, of a good conversation. So we've just got a one of the one of my keys to our growth, I think, is just sharing with other contractors and being uh, open with them and with a clear motive just to try to help people and improve the industry. Yeah, so as you would say, when I extend the hand, you extend the hand. Right. So uh, for those of you that think Ken Goodrich is just a hard ass, this hard ass has opened his heart 
to $1.5 million of his own money for his employees for indoor air quality. I don't think that's a, a hard-ass move. I think that's kind of the softer side of Ken. And he also is constantly, like he's saying, having people in his office, helping, offering you know, help answering questions. Certainly he can't get to everybody at the same time, but you can go to KenGoodrich.com and look up his information, get the book, things of that nature to help you along the way. We hope that you guys have enjoyed this. We hope that a lot of the questions helped, that you had some good tactical takeaways. To my man, Tall Paul, I appreciate you, brother. Ken Goodrich, always, always a pleasure to have you on. Until next time, Chris Yano, host of To The Point, CEO of Rhino Strategic Solutions, and we'll see you on the flip side. Thank you for listening to To The Point. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please consider leaving us a review in the App Store. And don't forget to share with your friends. Till next time, kick some ass.